0: Hey, OT Geniuses. My name is Jessica Lopez-Hermanton, and I am the creator and founder of OT Genius, and you're listening to Pre-OT Secrets. On this show, we talk about how to get into occupational therapy school, how to do it in the most financially savvy way, and we also dive into the stories of pre-OTs, current OT professionals and students. To learn how they got in and what their experiences were like and so we're here to inspire motivate and encourage you throughout your ot journey and show you how you can be a successful ot school applicant and become the ot that you want to be now on to the show Hello, OT geniuses. Welcome to another pre-OT secrets episode. We are still in the middle of our settings in OT series. And we have a very special treat for you guys today. Um, We have Lindsay DeLong, who is a home modification specialist. And so we're going to be talking a lot about home modification today and just those types of adaptations and uh, find out a little bit more about that in the world of OT. Uh, And we're, of course, going to hear her story and how she got into that. And so without further ado, welcome, Lindsay. How are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) And just thank you for for being on. We're excited to have you on here. And I'm sure that we're going to be learning a lot of new things uh, so, uh, Lindsay, um, as you know, this show is definitely geared toward uh, students more specifically, but um, I think this particular episode is definitely good for anyone in the OT world, really, whether you are considering entering the profession or are already in the profession, um, because maybe you're, are a current clinician wanting to, um, become a home modification specialist. Uh, so, um, but I'm going to take you back and let's start with your pre OT journey. How did you find out about occupational therapy? So my journey, maybe like
1: many of your followers are, it was a little bit circuitous. I didn't go straight line into occupational therapy. I knew I wanted to be an allied health professional. I started following physical therapy and some speech therapy early on in middle school. I started to explore that. So I was really into that setting. Got all the way through my junior year of college. I was at the University of Michigan studying psychology. Knew I wanted to go into physical therapy at that time until I took physics. (laughs) The physics class absolutely killed me. It was so hard. And I had to take two of them in order to qualify to apply for a physical therapy program I was looking into. And like, I panicked and was like, I'm going to pivot because I can't do this. I absolutely. And it must've been kind of one of those moments where I was already kind of questioning whether physical therapy was the right choice for me. It was very analytical. I tend to be more of a kind of creative. I really like to think outside the box and I was feeling a little bit limited. (laughs) So I went home and I kid you not, my mother had been someplace. I don't even know where she was. And she had a pamphlet, like a paper pamphlet. This is like the mid-2000s or early 2000s. And she handed it to me and she's like, this is occupational therapy. Have you ever heard of it? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she was like, well, look at it. I mean, the, the description is a dead ringer for what you're interested in. And it was, oh, I mean, wow. it described, yeah, it described so much more. A it came to your
0: door. A literal, a literal <laughs> my
1: mother hands me a paper paper pamphlet. I give her all the credit in the world for knowing me as well as she did. And hearing my panicked phone calls about failing physics. And she handed it to me and it was like, ah, and I, it felt like the right move. So I started looking into it more, but I was a junior in college. So application processes were rolling. I was having to pivot really quickly. I started trying to line up volunteer opportunities. Fortunately, PT volunteer opportunities translated fairly well, but needless to say, in all of the, the hurry, I didn't get into OT school oh. on my first try. It was devastating. I'm doing another like total, like, ah, what am I going to do with my life? Of course. Um, I got married. What else am I going to do? I'll just go get married. So I got married. And my husband and I at the time were young, married, trying to figure out life. And he was like, you want this. Just apply again. And so a year Mm. later, I reapplied to, to my schools of choice, which happened to be NYU and Grand Valley State University, two very different schools. Grand Valley is in Grand Rapids, Michigan area where I'm from and where we were currently living. And I got in. And it was one of those things because I think that took me so long to get in and I had done so much soul searching in the process. By the time I got into the program, I was like, just thrilled to be there. And so the work felt like joy (laughs) because like, I knew what it felt like not to have the opportunity. And Mm -hmm. so I think that was ultimately one of the best gifts I ever received was failing multiple times, failing to find the right gig early on, you know, not getting in on the first try. I failed a lot and in that failing i kind of kept failing forward i like to say like i kept moving yeah. thanks to the support of people around me who saw that i had a passion and i i could bring value i graduated and it's been one of those awesome journeys where again continue to explore and do new things and um i think as an ot we are naturally built to be adventurous and a little bit mm-hmm. more outside the box thinkers and so that's my one piece of advice for pre-OT students or students in general, wherever you are in your journey. Like, don't be afraid to fail. (laughs) It's not the end of the world.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. There's this quote that I love. Show me somebody who is successful and I'll show you somebody who has failed a lot. That has stuck with me. And as I go through just my journey in helping pre-occupational therapy students. And as I just go throughout my career, I have failed and I have failed a lot (laughs) as well it just comes to the point of what are you going to do with that failure are you going to let it stop you or are you going to continue continue failing forward as you say and so that is just really really significant and i'm sure very valuable to many students cuz we get bogged down with tests that maybe we failed whether it's just a regular test that we take for a class or the MBCOT, and you just got to keep at it you really do and figure out what needs to be modified in your study plan <laughs> or in the way you're doing things, right? Maybe it's even just your space that needs to be changed. But what got you into home modification and getting the home modification specialty?
1: So again, a bit circuitous, but I've always had an interest in the environmental component of occupational therapy, the, the PEO model, right? The person, mm-hmm. the environment, the occupation. I've mm-hmm. always been very drawn to the kind of observation of physical spaces comes by naturally my dad was a builder I have been around a lot of real estate a lot of buying and selling and modifying and just understanding the value of the lived environment within a person's life and so I think that's always been part of my mindset going in and I spent my first few years working in an inpatient rehab unit working with people with neurological usually deficits caused by brain injury spinal cord injury stroke and then I got into home health about seven years ago. And I did that and in home health, you, you can't ignore that environmental piece, it is such a huge piece of what we do. And so I started to kind of dive deeper into what I could do to make the home environment as functional a space. And that started off with just equipment and dig and then I dug deeper when I got into um, auto no fault here in the state of Michigan would offer the opportunity for individuals who sustained significant injuries by their auto accidents, their insurance would cover everything as a result of their accident recovery. So these people were getting full home builds, um, if they had a spinal cord injury or a brain injury that required it. So I was able to see by working in that, that space, what was, what was possible. So I started linking up with the contractors who were in that space and learning from them. i started working with other therapists who were already in that space Learning from them—that's um, my other piece of advice here. If you start to get curious about something, find those who are doing it and drive them nuts. I mean, be polite, but I am pretty shameless when it comes to if I'm interested <laughs> in something. I'm gonna hound you and tell me you that, too. That, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> me that's, too. That's what a good—that's what a good a helper person does. Is you find the people who are smarter than you and get their get their expertise, and that's the only way to learn it. So that's kind of where it all kind of transitioned. I do not hold the special certification, which is the one that most people go for is called CAPS, C-A-P-S, mm-hmm. which is a Certified Aging and Place Specialist. I did not end up going for that. I was in it for five years doing the work. And when I went to look at the specialty and what the class would offer, I had all of the experience. And after talking to people, they said, the extra certification is probably no longer valid for you because you've had the experience. But if you want to start there without the experience, it will get you into it faster. So as far as the certification process goes, I do not technically have the the full certification, but instead the years of experience to bolster my
0: expertise. And that does make you a specialist within your reason because it's been your your focus. And I know that you are very um, adamant about educating about home modification. And so- I just kind of want to bring this up to like, it's not just for home modification. There are many occupational therapists, for example, that work in the outpatient ortho world with upper extremity injury, and they don't have a certified hand therapy, but they are an upper extremity expert and they are within their right. A specialist in that sense. And so they are the ones that will know a lot more and the go to people if you know that one of your colleagues or, or friends works in home modification, and you're needing home modification, advice, then to go to people like Lindsay, because that's one <laughs> of her jams. And that's what she invests her time, uh, just continuously learning and all that stuff. So yeah, it, like, Get to know the people who know more than you and what you're interested in. And and like she was saying, pound them. (laughs) So maybe there's people or students out there that maybe are about to start the program and they're not really sure what home modification even is. or Even maybe broad listeners, what is home modification and why is that important? So there's different categories of home modification.
1: There are temporary modifications which would be adding, typically adding some sort of supports, whether that's semi-permanent support, like a grab bar, for example, or a shower seat or tub transfer bench, typically very equipment-based. It's something that can be removed when it's no longer needed. And this is for people who are in sort of a recovery process, surgical recoveries, injury recoveries, things like that temporarily they're going to need some sort of physical supports to stay safe and independent or as independent as possible in their homes. That is something that is going to be pretty important to understand for any occupational therapist. So that's like the basic level of home modification is understanding how to create supports that are semi or impermanent just because they're so common. Then there's like the next level where it's making modifications to a home that are going to be permanent that are going to support function for somebody who has either a degenerative condition, so something that's going to cause physical decline over the lifespan, or they have a, 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 condition, a congenital condition that they were born with that makes them require certain mobility devices, walkers, canes, wheelchairs, or perhaps they have limited function. Those are modifications that are made to an existing home, typically adding ramps, um, uh, changing out stair systems so that maybe you have a stair lift. These are more permanent changes. These are usually bigger, a little more expensive, could mean you're doing a remodel. Kitchens and bathrooms tend to be, and bedrooms tend to be the three places you see remodels done that prioritize this level of home modification. So these are a little bit more specialized. This is very OT heavy, very OT heavy in involvement. Usually you're partnering with the contractors in the area who are also certified to understand accessibility. And it's very important that you're partnering with contractors who you can have that open dialogue with. Because one thing I've learned is that OTs tend to get pushed out of the conversation too early in the process. We hand off our recommendations and oftentimes they say, thank you, we don't need you anymore. We're going to do what you ask. It's really important that we stay involved throughout the process. And I make that very clear. Yeah, That's just a little insider tip. But if you get into this area, be ready to be dismissed frequently and have to stand up and voice the importance of your knowledge base in conjunction with the construction pieces. Um, You you can't be afraid or intimidated by that.
0: And I have not worked directly like that in terms of home modification. So my assumption, and hopefully they say when you assume you make an ass of you, but anyway, maybe my assumption is correct. I'm assuming that a lot of these contractors too, they are male. And so, and they could be very dismissive of you just because you're, you're a female. And they're like, what do you know about this home modification thing? Well, thank you so much for your recommendation. I don't know. Like, can you, and we are a very female dominated profession overall. So any advice for our listeners then in, I guess, specifically who, I think you could even be a male OT and they'll still maybe be dismissive of you. Just because they don't think that you have maybe, I guess, like the true foundation. And they're like, oh, well, she's probably just giving general advice and whatever. Yeah, we'll do it, blah, blah, blah. And they just dismiss it. Any advice on for our listeners on how they can assert themselves in this world when dealing with people who are being dismissive of your recommendations as an occupational therapist? It's
1: so important to be confident in what you speak of. And that can mean, and I don't mean false confidence. I mean, know that what you are talking about is uh, truly tied to the science and the art of occupational therapy. What we do is highly specific, highly scientific, based in research. We have evidence to back what we're doing, prevention of injury, prevention of falls, things like that. We are experts in that area do not shy away from being able to stand up and say, I am an expert, you need to respect that if you're being really dismissed. I find that frequently the dismissiveness isn't necessarily coming from a place of, you're not trying to be rude, they just don't know how the process works. They are very focused on their part of the work and they're busy, that's the other thing. When you're working with contractors, subcontractors, builders, they don't have a lot of time for chit-chat and minutia. So I usually mm. try the best, the, you, you win over more people by being a support versus a barrier. If you're being dismissed in a rude way and you need to stand up for yourself and be a little bit firm, that's great. Do it. But the best thing you can do is be a support and be like, hey, I know that your time is valuable. I can be a support in this system and I can be the one who connects with the person who lives in this home. I'm going to be your, your communication between us. I don't want to say middle person because I'm not really a middle person. I'm a support. I'm going to be able to interpret the needs and the observed deficits of this person living within this environment to your construction specialty. I am the bridge, and being that bridge is so so valuable. It makes the process more efficient because you're not going to have to go back and make changes on stuff that wasn't made the way that they wanted because maybe you just missed that communication. I can prevent that. So it makes the process more cost-effective. makes it more efficient. They don't have to do the chit-chatty part of it that they don't really want to do anyway. So build yourself up as a support, a bridge, not a barrier. You're not going to be a pain in their butt. You're just going to be there to really make this process smooth. Everyone ends happy. You get a good review. You get your paycheck at the end. As the OT, I've got a satisfied patient who's now safe, more independent, more functional in their home everybody's happier when we all communicate and work together. And that's how I pitch it. And that works. 9.9 times out of 10, that is what it takes to make sure that you have a valuable partnership with those who are doing the actual physical work on the house.
0: Very cool. Very, very cool. So guys, I am actually going to just ask one more question to Lindsay, but we are going to have her back and we're going to be diving deeper into just her home modification experiences and just learn what she likes what she doesn't like so you definitely want to tune in into that following episode but lindsay my last question to you is cuz this would not be pre ot circusive and i did not ask this what is the biggest advice that you have for students that are applying through the program or going through their pre occupational therapy journey
1: I think I kind of already alluded to this, but don't be dissuaded by challenge. Okay. Early on in school, I was really easily devastated by failures and challenges and being pushed to my limit. And then slowly I've realized as I've gotten older, and I wish I had had this knowledge when I was younger, that challenge is what builds you. That challenge is what gives you passion because when you push through it and you find and whatever end that is, whether you've had to pivot, whether you've had to fail and come through the other side, don't fear that stuff. Face it. It's the only way to get better. And that's, that's a life thing, but especially in healthcare, because you will never not be facing challenges and you got to get real comfortable with them. So the sooner you do that, the sooner you'll realize this is a pretty amazing career path, but it's full of bumps in the road that get you ever more strong and ready to take on the world. So, don't be afraid of it.
0: Most definitely, I 100% agree. So, guys, now what home modification even is? We talked about just how it's possible to get a certification yet even if you don't, you can still be an expert in that field. So, um I hope that this has brought some at least some perspective of what you can do as an occupational therapist. But like I said earlier, we'll be diving into a little bit more in the next episode. So we'll see you in the next one, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day to listen. We hope this has been valuable and will get you one step closer to being the occupational therapist you want to be. You can check out all of our resources and social media platforms on otgenius.com. The website, again, is otgenius.com. If you wish to connect with us, you can do so by booking a consultative call on the website or even find us on Instagram. The handle is at ot.genius, and you can there join our monthly newsletter and stay up to date on all the things we are doing to help you succeed. We hope that you have a great day, and thank you again for listening.